Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ozone, live from Paris, France, where I am drinking wine and eating cheese. Uh, this is your host, Omar Miller. You can find me on Instagram at Omar Benson Miller, at Twitter at Omar Miller, and I'm here with my brother Terry, the icons. Where can the people find you? E-Y-E-C-O-N-Z, everywhere. They can find you all over, but there can be only, only one Highlander. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. Oh, man, what a big fight this past weekend. We got a new pound-for-pound pound list out. want to talk about uh, the Major League Baseball fight happening, jumping off. It's going down. It's not even summer yet, but it's getting hot up in San Francisco. Uh, we got another superstar injured. What is going on with all these injuries? We have the NBA Finals, and will it ever actually begin? Or is the 2017 season never-ending? Um, and we want to talk about tennis because that's why we're here to cover Roland Garros. But we want to start off with a man, a myth, a legend who seems to have fallen on hard times. And I just want to get your take on what you think it is that's been going on with young Eldrick, also known to the world as Tiger Woods. He's just living life, man. Life happens. And, you know, unfortunately, we fall into the trap of it as we go on. It's just unfortunate that the public expects something out of this guy. He's given you what he's given you, you know. What else do you want from him? Now you, you act like the world wants to hold him hostage and he can't go and live his life. Well, I agree with that because it's got to be difficult to be a star on that level with that sort of status and magnitude where people are scrutinizing your every move and whatnot. It's very difficult to put your pinky finger to the moon. It's very hard. But what I'm finding is is that this is, a, to me, a, a somewhat of a version, less of him saying, you know, I'm trying to live my life, so leave me alone, and a little bit more of maybe what we see on the other side of sports with Adrian Broner. I think there's a subtle cry for help going on. Um they said that the report came out and his DUI had nothing to do with alcohol. No, he was on his med on his meds. But and for me, I don't feel like the Broner situation. I feel like with him, he has a back problem and he's taking medicine and he just didn't know how the reaction to it. So, you know, this could happen to anybody. So why is it that we think that Tiger Woods shouldn't be able to fall trapped to it? I don't think that we think he shouldn't fall trapped to it. I think everybody wants to have people who are on prescription drugs and excess not drive. I don't think it's about him whether or not he can fall victim to the, you know, the fruits of the danger of prescription drugs. Those numbers are through the roof right now on opioid addiction. And you see the commercials about opioid induced constipation, which sounds terrible uh, and all sorts of activities. But I think that with the Tiger Woods situation, if 10 years ago somebody would have told me, hey, you know what? In 10 years, all of the headlines that you see about Tiger Woods will have nothing to do with golf. It would have been very, very difficult to conceive, just to even just digest. Oh, but he's getting old now anyway, so, you know, you can't expect him to be on top forever. He's done his thing. I mean, a lot of excuses for, for Tiger's play. I can't roll with excuses for his play because— Well, his pay, he's had a bad back. He's had a bad, had back, a bad for, back for a while now. You he know? has. And he's, he has. he's done his thing. Can anybody top what he's done in the past? I, that's a very good question, and it doesn't seem like they can, and that's part of the reason why nobody wants to let him go. Right. Yeah. The other thing is you're watching him when he does try to play golf. He's not the same golfer, and it's always difficult to watch the legends fall from where they were at a certain height, and it just it, it goes back to reminding us all that we're all mere mortals, and, it, and it's, a, it's a tricky situation because I don't think that when he started playing bad that it was a coincidence that it, it had to do with his – his personal life uh, having some very rough hurdles. But I think that 
somehow or another that has translated and manifests itself in an inability to heal with his back. He's had several surgeries. I think that we have a problem in Western medicine, even though obviously Tiger Woods, you would think, would have access to the very top of the top. But I think we have a problem in Western medicine because we want to medicate the problem as opposed to actually fixing the problem. But there's no science to the back, you know, so. Seems like it. Yeah. I've had several people who've had several friends who've had back surgery, half of which who say, never do this, never allow anybody in your family to do this. And other ones who were like, man, if it wasn't for that back surgery, I wouldn't even be able to walk. Now, only half. Half and half. And sometimes the same people. (laughs) Because sometimes people are like, hey, you know what? Uh, That surgery, don't ever let anybody have it. Then you see them four or five months later, like, man, that surgery was the best thing I ever did. I'm just praise God. I don't have any problems with my back, and uh, man, and I don't want any. <laughs> don't start none. It won't be none. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know what he's done is basically he set the standard so high that people just will not let him go. Let him live his life. He has a back problem. He has wife and kids. He has the works. So what else do you want from him, fans? I mean, Tiger has given you the Tiger. Now, what is his first name? Eldrick. <laughs> let Eldrick post. Eldrick, he, he wants to post, but he also wants to be involved in golf. And I think that's what it is. It throws people off from time to time. But uh, he wants to stand on the top. On the top, leading down. Yeah. I think he. I think all of the, the high-end athletes want to stay on top. They want to stand on top. They want to stay on top. I mean, and you're talking about the top of the top. This guy is was as big as any athlete ever. Yeah. Save Muhammad Ali, I would say. He's, he was as big as anybody ever. The Michael Jordan of golf. Yeah, and that's saying a lot yeah. because he transcended the sport. Babe Ruth of, of golf. <laughs> of the links. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I really hope that that this prescription drug thing doesn't have a hold on him because we've seen so many people fall victim to it over the past few years, just so many heroes, Michael Jackson, Prince. Uh, we just saw Chris Cornell and, and so many singers and all sorts of people who were having problems because of drugs they either decided to, to dibble and dabble with or drugs they were put on to fix a problem by a physician who then in turn didn't give them the proper information and or they decided to change the dosage. Yeah, I feel like that's a little bit different with athletes because athletes pretty much are all on some kind of, you know, preventive maintenance or some kind of anti-inflammatory or something like that. And I actually believe that he had an allergic reaction to it. I mean, it, So you're buying the story. Yeah, I'm buying it. I mean, because it's obviously it happened, but, you know, there's some things that we just can't prevent. He Maybe he didn't know how he was going to react. It could have been his first time using it and maybe he didn't know how he was going to react to it. You thought the doctor told you to eat it with some food or something like take it with some food, and I did, and all of a sudden I'm wiggity wiggity away. Yeah, and I'm all of a sudden I'm asleep at the steering wheel. Yeah, and I'm asleep at the steering wheel, and I don't really think that Tiger hasn't shown he might have a problem with the babes, but he hasn't shown that he's irresponsible in life. You know, he hasn't been that problem guy that goes out and gets into fights, and you know, and actually I saw Tiger at Roland Garros, and he actually was getting it in. I saw him fighting with Gail Monfils. Tiger, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that's a good point. I, I just hope that he heals up, whatever it is. I actually just hope his back heals up. Whether or not he plays another round of golf ever in life, it sounds terrible to have a bad back, especially to be such a young man and such a stud. So it's a it's a, it's a tough spot. Moving on, I, I want to talk about this mega fight that went down this weekend. We talked about it before in the Ozone. We said it was going to be a great fight. We said it was going to be hard to call. Uh, we were split on who we were going to take. Uh, icons went with Kell Brook a great champion, and I rolled with young Earl Spence for what they call now strap season. 
And I think that there's an interesting thing that took place in the fight. Let's just go into the fight. I'm, it's a few days ago, but, man, it, it, you could watch this fight right now if you haven't seen it, and you will be enthralled because they came out from the word go. These were two A fighters. Yeah, and, um, you know, Kelbrook really showed – he had a lot of confidence early in the fight. I feel like he pretty much – the first two rounds were 50-50. But after that, I felt like he took control after the sixth or seventh, and that's when he started having the eye problem. But it looked to me like he was really in control of the fight at that point. I didn't feel like he took control after the sixth or the seventh. I felt like he took control from the third to about the seventh. Yeah, well, man, yeah, I probably said that wrong, but – he, t- he had control of the fight up until that point. He looked like the stronger guy. He was pushing him around. He was pushing him around. He was hitting him hard. I was, he was Earl Spence showed a great chin. And I, was, I actually love Earl Spence. I just thought and it looked like it was going that way with the experience that he had and the confidence that he had that he was going to really you know, show something. And he did, except that he, was, he showed me that he wasn't healed. And this is what we talked about. We talked about his eye and the damage that was done to what we can – passionately call and intimately call the Triple G effect. Yes. We've seen this with, with a handful of fighters over time where there's, a, there's a, a post effect of fighting certain guys because of the amount of punishment and trauma that they put their opponent through that even if the fight that they lost to that guy didn't seem so devastating, there's always an extended recovery that most guys don't come out of. Right. A la Hagler and Pacquiao. Muhammad Ali Muhammad. when he just cut you up to yeah. death, jab you to death. Right. And you just can never really recover. And he had his orbital socket crushed, which is a skull fracture pretty much, it seems to me. It's bad news. I know that's what it is. And and I felt like they called that fight so early that he had a mandatory bout against this kid that's an up-and-coming star. You mean called the fight as in they announced the fight? Yes, called it. Because you felt like they called the fight late. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like they should have stopped that fight because you can see that he had a serious issue and they just kept letting it go on and we don't want to see anybody get killed out there or blinded. Yeah, and we might have seen that, to be yeah. honest. It was it was pretty ugly. And he was smart enough to take a knee. Let's hear what uh, what Kel Brook had to say after the fight. I know that I couldn't see and I knew that he were a very sharp shooter, a very good fighter, Errol Spence, and I knew that it could be fatal with, with some of the shots he was chucking. So I went to one knee and I tried to, tried to get my eye to come back you know, back in line, and it wasn't happening. So I got up and I looked at Dom, and, and Dom, we know each other. He got up and and uh, the fight were over. It's a shame because at that point, up until that point, that the fight itself had gone really well. The scorecards were looking very close. You were happy with the performance, the way things were going. You know, I, I was I was happy. You know, he were in an awkward southpaw. He was a very good sharpshooter. He had youth on his side. He was challenging for the world title. So you know, he had that bit between his teeth. He was hungry. You know, and. It was it were a very competitive fight. Very, I, I, you know, it was very close. He won some rounds. I did. I remember, I remember catching him and buzzing him up. And I was in the fight, you know. And I think the back half, what you know, when the eye were getting worse, I got caught in the tenth, and the combination got put down. Needed to needed to have a knee, you know. But I was still in the fight. Um, you know, if I would have got through the fight, who knows who would, how the judges would have had it. But if the eye wouldn't have gone, I think that the fight would have, you know, mapped out a little bit different. But it, it is what it is, and I didn't get the win. I couldn't uh, leave the sport uh, like that tonight, uh, yesterday. You know, I, I need to get back in and, and get back to winning ways. You know, I'm, I'm stubborn. I need to get back in and ensure that I've got plenty more to give. Let's see. There it is, and there it is once again. He you see it right there. You see it was it was he was. <laughs> he was a good fighter. I was hungry. <laughs> he was hungry. He had the chomer beat in his mouth. 
wow, this guy's a great champion. I tell you that much. Yeah. My thing is this: is that I felt like the fight early was fifty-fifty, maybe leaning towards Spence. Brooke decided to start imposing his will, and I had him through three through six looking strong. But you could see around the fourth, fifth round that he started to paw at his nose. And it looked like there was like he was trying to get sweat off his nose or something, but you come to find his eye was already acting up. And and just like you just heard Brooks say, Earl Spence is a sharpshooter. I mean, he was it, this was sharp, these punches that he was throwing. He had crisp jabs. And, you know, it seemed like Brooke might have had more power, but there was an accumulation that was taking place there. Right. And a young man showed out. One thing that he did that we all love is that he went to take the champ's belt. Right. And it wasn't a gimme, and he wasn't going to take a chance on a decision. No. He went there and put the champ on the floor, and he made him quit. And they had a great game plan, and it's awesome that the kid executed. This is – can't say it any better than that. We got a, We have a world champion fighter who's just so hyped up. He's been on us all week. He wants to call in and talk about it. Let's see what uh, champion Anthony Durrell has to say. Yo, what up, bro? Former champion Anthony Durrell. What's good, my brother? How you feeling? Oh, man, I feel good, man. I feel good. <laughs> talk to me, man. We're breaking down this fight right now. We saw a great game plan from young Earl Spence in strap season. And we saw that the young man, what he wanted to do is to pop that jab, to stand his ground. He showed a great chin. He executed the plan. What you see in the fight? And you actually called Earl Spence to win this fight, as a lot of professional boxers did. That's what I noticed. A lot of pro boxers seem to have a lot of respect for this young kid. Tell us what you saw and what you thought going in. Uh, I mean, I, I knew he was going to win. I knew he had the, 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 the condition to win, and, and people were saying he was going to he hasn't fought anybody, but he proved that he can demolish anybody uh, with his last fight before him. And uh, I mean, he's just a young, young champion, man. You can call him a young vet, basically. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, he did his thing over there in the, in the UK, definitely. Which was also, you know, because he went and took the champs belt, and you know that doesn't happen often nowadays. A lot of times, you know, you want to go to the scorecards and take a champs belt. I don't believe that that's the way it's supposed to go. And he went out like a champ, kill Brook. That being. Uh, right. I, I mean, I, everybody keeps saying that was the same eye, too. Uh, it wasn't. It was the other eye. I mean, he did damage to the other one. Triple D did the right eye. He did the left. Uh, so for people to keep saying, oh, Triple G did this and did that, he didn't. I mean, he had enough time to recover from that fight. I mean, if, if he didn't, he wouldn't have took the fight, period, point blank. He's a professional at the end of the day, and you don't have to take a fight if you don't want to take a fight. Uh, I don't know about that because the other thing is, is he didn't want to, what he didn't want to do is he didn't want to relinquish that belt. Now, I felt like they put him under the squeeze to make that his mandatory so quickly because what we did see, and I was with Earl Spence, but what I did see is that Kel Brook came out and imposed his will. He seemed like the stronger fighter. He was hitting harder, and it just seemed like a matter of time with that sharp shooting that Spence was doing uh, until some something in his eye had a problem. It's just hard for me to believe that a guy's been fighting for this long and then all of a sudden he's got eye problems on each eye back to back to back. Now, he came out and he said it was the same eye. I saw some pictures that made it seem like it was a different eye. It was, I mean, and I've seen the pictures too that made it like as if I ever had to go back and look at the Triple G fight. I'm thinking it was the right eye. I mean... You know, people people get stopped and come over all these excuses, but you know, you gotta give it to Earl Spence. He went in the UK and did his job, and that's what he was supposed to do. But at the end of the day, if you're injured and you have a belt, you still get the you you know you're still gonna be champion. Just like James DeGale, my brother, you know, fought for that belt, but 
really James Aguil is a champion because he's injured. He's out with an injury. If that was the case, he would just set out a couple more months if he needed it. But he didn't. He felt he was ready. And, uh, you know, like I say, there's no excuses in the ring, man. You don't have to take a fight if you don't want to take a fight. So I let mean, me ask you this. Th- because you know you're ready. So, so let me ask you this. Is it optional if you if like if he would have said that his eye socket wasn't healed? Is it optional for him uh, to? Is it optional for him to say you know I can't fight at this time period because I thought it was a, t- a window of time that they gave you to to fight for your you know to keep your belt. I mean, and it is, but you know, just like my brother, he got the 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 he got the IBF, but it's like a. Uh, a little uh, belt until James Aguil get better, and James Aguil got to come back and fight him. It's the IBF, but it's just a a little under the IBF. You know what I'm saying? That's what probably would have happened if if he didn't, you know, if he didn't fight because of injury. I mean, that's just like if you if you're in camp and you get injured in camp. I mean, they, all they're gonna do is prolong the fight. Basically, that's the same thing. And so, tell me this now. Given that. How is your brother doing, man? We were we saw the footage and we saw what happened with the melee. We saw the post bell, uh, you know, uh, drop and the disqualification, and we saw the you know the subsequent activities afterward. It looked like the whole Darrell clan was fired up and ready to go. And uh, how is he feeling now? Is he all recovered? He's feeling all right. Uh, yeah, he, he's he's feeling good, man. He just didn't want to get the win like that. None of us wanted him to. I mean, we've seen what happened with Abraham. People say. These people is going to knock my brother out and stuff. But, you know, you do a foul hit, oh, now he's faking. And, and I think it's bogus, man. And, and and people need to really get there, you know, see see what really happened. I mean, he hit the guy twice after the bill. I, I, think it's, I think it's the ref fought because he didn't have no control over the fight. You know, the guy hit him twice before that after the bill, but he didn't really enforce his power. And then it's it's the guy too because he had three hundred and some amateur fights, man. And the bell doesn't change for any country. It it sounds the same. And for him not to, and, and if you're in the middle of punching, you can pull back that punch. As a professional, you can pull it back. You just didn't choose to, but you choose to throw two punches after the bell. And, and I, I agree. And now, given that, given that expert explanation, you can understand how things got heated after the bell and then got heated after the disqualification. Obviously, he didn't want to get the dub like that, but I tell you the truth, from knowing both of y'all, man, I don't think that you guys get the respect that you deserve in the league in general. And I think that when you step in, it's already an uphill climb. But thank God that you guys got the Lord with you and you got major skills. And so you keep going, keeping on. I just want everybody to be all right. And so when I saw the footage, it made me upset for that reason. Right, and he fell, and if you can see, he fell straight on his face after the punches after the bell. I mean, a guy can hit. You know, I see, yeah. I I talked to my brother after. He said, "Man, that guy can hit." You know what I'm saying? And and for people to say he's faking and stuff like that, he was just. And then, like, you know, it, 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 we, we were tired of it happening, man. It's just like with Floyd. People do dirty stuff to Floyd because he's whooping them and 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 messing them up in the ring. You know, after you know. Uh, frustrating them basically in the ring and they do something dirty that's every fight that's just like my brother he boxes them and boxing they can't hit him and they do something dirty where to the next round he come out and feel bad you know what i'm saying that's just the exact same way i think
I, I, I agree with you because I think they make excuses, you know, so this is a way for them to get out of the fight sometimes. It just so happened that he caught him after the bell, and that guy, from what I saw, the guy was fighting dirty the whole fight. I agree. And then and then the other thing is is that oftentimes nowadays with as dirty as boxing is in general, a lot of the times the refs don't even penalize the guys right. for fighting dirty. Right. Exactly. Like I say, he hit him twice before that, after the bell, and I was, me and my other brother was talking like, man, say something to him. He never said nothing to him. Even when he said he did after the fight, he didn't say nothing to him significantly where the guy were like, oh, I'm not hitting him after the bell no more. No warning, no warning, no deduction, no warning, no deduction, no nothing? No nothing. Like, so it's like, oh, he ain't warning me. He ain't doing nothing. I'm going to do it again. Right, until he get, yeah. Like, if that's just like if a kid get away with something, they're going to keep doing it until they get caught. Exactly. No doubt. No doubt. It's the incentivization process. Well, I'm happy he got that dub, and I think he would have got it whether or not, you know, with with or without that disqualification nonsense in a square, in a square fight. I believe he gets that dub either way. Um, what's the latest with you, man? Did you get a word on that fight? I've been waiting on him to, to give you that good word. I, I, I did, man. And it's September 9th. Uh, it's September 9th. They're saying in L.A., but I don't want it there. I want it at home, and that's where I'm going to try to get it at. I heard that. Yeah, I'm not mad at you. And if you let us know when it is, the Ozone will be live on the scene to cover that fight. Who who you got on that Kovalev Ward? I'll be there. I got got Ward. Oh, you're going with SOG, son of God. Okay, well, baby, we'll see you at that fight. Are y'all going to be there? Uh, It's looking like it. You know, we got to wrap up. We over here overseas right now. We over here, uh, you know, drinking good wine and and, and tasting good cheese over here right now. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Okay, bet. I'm going to see y'all there, man. There it is. You have to get out, man. My brother, Anthony Durrell, always, always welcome on the Ozone. We appreciate your opinion. Take care of yourself and give love to the family. We talk to you soon. All right, now. Appreciate it. Thanks. Oh, man. It's great to have expert analysis. That was an expert. That was an expert. And he brought up a really good point by saying, hey, you know what? The ref didn't do his job. Right. And also, when we see beyond the ref not doing his job, we watch another piece to the puzzle, and we say a professional actually could pull a punch, which is why they always hire the professionals when you do boxing movies and everything, so that the stars don't actually get busted up. Right, and it seems like they actually do anyway, but still. Right, <laughs> and a lot of times I think that's just the actors wanting to play tough want guy. Want to feel themselves. Yeah, they want to think they're feeling themselves till they find out that it is a sweet science and that <laughs> it's, it's real. Wow, that's great. Now, I'm very interested to hear more about this orbital bone injury. I think we got our doc on the line who's looking to, uh, to, to call in and tell us about what he thinks about not only that orbital bone injury, but how that ties into other sports as well. So, so really quickly, you got the background. Kell Brooks, Errol Spence, you are an expert on everything medical. You have your own medical program coming out soon. Uh, you, you're known for healing people and helping them heal, but you have a wonderful grasp of Western medicine knowledge as well. You've helped me and my brother Terry personally, and that's why we always call you to consult about these sports injuries. So we wanted to talk about am this. I supposed po- to, am I supposed to send you a check tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, listen, listen, the way you've helped me out with my health, man, it, I mean, I'm so confident I'm over here drinking wine and cheese and, and, and living a good life for a little bit. Right? And my, my blood's flowing good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's probably flowing real good. So let me just tell you real quickly then. One, under treatment, under diagnosis, the most common problem with these type of sports injuries. Um, you know, we've had baseball players in the last couple of years that have actually had the same area fractured by, say, a fastball or what have you. And 
if they don't follow the instructions to the T. The particular thing is, if it's a fracture, such as a blowout, you have a chance of getting blood behind the eye, blood inside the eye socket, which means ischemia or rotting of nerves or muscles. So vision changes are, are a huge problem. Number two is the doctors usually don't tell them with athletics because some of the sports doctors, you know, they're, they're supposed to get the patients back to fighting or playing, which causes further injuries. So overexertion, recurrent blows to it, high altitudes above four to 6,000 feet, coughing and sneezing, they'll still make it worse. But the worst part is if it's untreated, you get you can have the muscle trapped underneath underneath the eye called the lateral rectus, and they slowly get vision problems. And then you can also get ischemic changes behind the retina, particularly around the optic nerve. And that, if it's not addressed and gets re-damaged, you're talking about probably non-reversal of this. Now, Dr. Williams out of Seattle years ago, 30, 40 years ago, and I knew him, he came up with all the protocol. If it's not a fracture, you protect it. And I usually say six months to a year. Um, unless your, your examination of the retina and the muscle shows that it's better. But if you don't continue to do exercising for it, everybody gets weakness in tracking and they lose a good portion of the vision. So say you're a right-handed baseball player, get a fracture like that, don't treat it properly. Within six months or so afterwards, you're not going to be able to track a ball coming in and you can only see it like right before the plate, which means you're going to be swinging at anything. So with him going in and getting a fight this soon after having an orbital fracture, was clearly a mistake in my opinion. Um, even though I haven't examined him, the fact that you're telling me he couldn't see means that it probably re-traumatized the arteries and nerve and possibly the muscle. And um, that has to be addressed right away. Surgery can wait for uh, like up to six weeks after a fracture like this. But the zero to six weeks is an important time to reevaluate it, which means ophthalmologist, a retinal specialist, a guy who knows sports medicine, not just with a degree, but actually has experience with this. As you know, I've treated a lot of boxers and cage fighters. And um, it's better to be safe because the risk-to-benefit ratio is the risk is too high. And um, you want to see that glove coming at your face. And that's so, a, a lot of times in this fight, that's what it actually looked like, like he did not see the glove coming. I mean, the kid's really fast that was hitting him. But at the same time, he was uh, he was getting caught. Now, he had surgery after the last orbital bone injury. He had surgery immediately afterwards, and now he's saying he has to have surgery on this one because the doctor told him when he was doing it, the doctors told him uh, uh, after the surgery, they said, hey, after the first injury, they said, hey, it was in his mind that one more round you would have lost the eye. So he took a knee this time and, and conceded his belt. But given that information that you're saying, it, it sounds like he probably shouldn't have been in there so quickly before he was fully healed. Yes, there's certain exercises called Williams exercises to improve the tracking post-op and other things you need to do and monitor. But re-injuring it, um, it puts him at a huge risk now. And I can guarantee you that the other fighter, if they did their schooling on it, they knew that he had that fracture and knew that it was early. And so they knew that to throw the glove, it was the left eye. They're going to throw a roundhouse or, you know, an uppercut on that left side where the patient can't see it. And if they, you know, so you always got to know your opponent's injury so you know where the weaknesses are and that's where you go, which is unfortunate in this case because I haven't seen him, but uh, his visual changes are, you know, he can form scarring in their cataracts, loss of the retina on, on the opposing side. A lot, a lot of stuff can happen. Um, so that's kind of something you have to watch all the time. Unfortunately, athletes, after their season, they don't do what you say, and they go off and they party around the world or the country, and they don't see their doctor or do the proper you know, treatment. 
Wait a minute, so, wait a minute. Are you talking about athletes or are you talking about the hosts of the Ozone? Listen, Doc, we're coming in to see you soon, we promise. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about you and your brother. I mean, you, guys, you guys were pests. You actually called me a lot. So. <laughs> and you almost do 25% of what I say. <laughs> almost. That's a good that's And a good we percentage. still feel great. Yeah, that's how good of a doctor you are. Nah, you're good patients. But, um, yeah, it's... Those types of injuries, you want to not go to team doctors or the ones that your, you know, your, what do you call agent has you do or your trainer because they want you to get back in there so they all get paid. You literally have to think of the patient as a high risk and then treat them from that way forward and just keep reevaluating. You know, there's not a lot of chance for seizures, but they get hit more on the, towards the temple portion of that, that arch around the eye. Then they usually three to five years, you know, you got to watch them for small seizure disorders, too. So there's a lot of risks with that. Well, so. yeah. And, you know, this guy, he still wants to fight. And I, I personally doesn't, I don't feel that it's a good idea because if both of no, those I guys. Mean, he needs to be seen by somebody that has a lot of experience with that. But not just somebody that's just an eye specialist, but somebody that knows these types of traumas and what you have to make them do. If they don't do what you say, you know, me and my office, I kick them out. If they don't do what I say, God bless you. <laughs> yeah. And I hope someday you can at least learn to wipe your nose. The, <laughs> at this point, you know, you know, if I saw him, I'd probably tell him, you know, this is what we need, an MRI or CAT scan. Follow the sinuses. Make sure you don't get an infection. Don't blow your nose. Don't go up in altitudes. Um, being in a plane since the altitude adjusted, it's probably not too bad. But where you land, you go to Denver and you land a mile high and you've got a blowout wow. fracture in your eye, don't do it. Stay as low as you can. Follow up with exercises, which he should be doing right now. Um, there's all kinds of stuff to do. Wow. Yeah, that's great information. That's great intel, Doc. We really appreciate your expertise, even if we act like we don't listen all the time. We listen. We listen. We talk about you. We love you. I- you are a, a family member in the Ozone and your expertise is always welcome, both personally and professionally. Well, anytime you need me, let me know. But I'll, next time you have to fly me to Europe and show me the <laughs> Well, we got to keep you alive forever, so I don't right. know about this wine and cheese for you. <laughs> I, I have no medical issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise God for that. Last question I got for you. I don't know if you've been following or not, but who do you got in these basketball finals? The Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant or the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James and Kyrie Irving? Well, Cleveland, if they overwork um, LeBron, they'll win. But I think Golden State's going to take it. Oh. They're well-rounded, less injuries. LeBron, you know, I hate to say it, but they use him so much that he's going to wear down and probably have an injury if this thing goes seven. Wow. Wow. Interesting. They definitely, he's played more, logged more minutes this season than anybody else in the league. And they haven't won a game without him. Yeah. Watch his right knee and his right lateral ankle because it's kind of weak when he turns. So if he blows it out, you know. If he blows it out, then we we think you got a sniper in the arena. <laughs> but uh, Doc, always always a pleasure. Appreciate you, and we'll catch you soon. Yeah. Gonna keep on moving. Talk about this situation that's going down with the pound for pound list. Have you peeped out the pound for pound list? Recently? I haven't. Who, who's up there now? Well, there's been some moves because now we finally see. Um, Earl Spence making an appearance on the list. That's crazy. He wasn't even on there. Come on, man. And I mean, he was, you know, he was, it wasn't like Earl Spence was some kind of jive turkey. Right. And it, now when you talk about this Kell Brook situation, I feel like it's to the point where he should retire. And a lot of people are still talking about him taking fights. And I don't think that he's in a situation where you can keep taking fights. And, and he keep, he just said, yeah. he just said that. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. So this is. It doesn't make any sense. Why in the world 
Just explain that to me. He's the one. It makes sense for him. I understand why people, why he would say that. What is he supposed to say? You know what I mean? What's he going to say? He should be honest and say, you know what? I think my career might be on the downside because I have a serious injury. And if I keep fighting, I don't know what might happen to me. And I tell you the truth. You know what you get if you say that. What? Strangely enough, you get the potential underdog action. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. then if you do come back, you get everybody saying, oh, wow, he came back. He was His career was was over, blah, 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 blah. There's really no negative to it. But after all those fights that he's had, there's no reason for him to still be in the ring doing this. I mean, literally, it, it sounds like it could be just ego-driven at this point. I think that it's just like all of the boxers always are, and it's it's somewhat ego-driven, but it's the fact that these guys like to fight. You just you just have to be honest with yourself about what it is because when we saw this fight right now, we saw what was going on and we saw the kid coming in. When he walked into the ring, Earl Spence Jr. was smiling. He was feeling it. Kell Brook looked very serious. Both of them were shredded. You could see they both were in A condition. Yeah. They, they, neither one of them were messing around. They got in there, and then they both enjoyed mixing it up. They enjoyed it. Boy, man, it was just like grabbing a nice glass of wine out here. That's what it was. <laughs> nice. Nice Bordeaux. Huh? Uh. So on this pound-for-pound pound list, uh, we're looking at the CBS pound-for-pound pound list. There's quite a few different opinions. One thing that I see that I'll talk about that's absent from the list really bothers me, but we got Andre Ward at number one, light heavyweight champ, fighting above his weight class, really. We got Vasil Lomachenko, junior lightweight, Gennady Golovkin, middleweight champ, Terrence Crawford, junior welterweight champ, Sergey Kovalev, lightweight, light heavyweight, looking to get his uh, looking to get his, his, his belt back from SOG. And then you got Earl Spence Jr. making an appearance now. He's making a cameo to say, a word up. At number six, we got Chocolatito, who dropped to number seven, who was number one forever as a pound-for-pound king. Um, Manny Pacquiao coming in at number eight. Keith Thurman at number nine. And Canelo Alvarez at number ten. Now, I've, I've scoured about five or six pound-for-pound lists. A problem that I have is, is that Anthony Joshua isn't on any of these lists. How did I know you were going to say that? But let me ask you this. Riddle me this, Batman. Let's just say... For instance, if we put uh, Joshua in there with any of these fighters, who would come out on top? Well, obviously, that's why it's a pound-for-pound pound list. You would have to put Joshua in there with them being able to weigh in at heavyweight. Otherwise, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't count. But for my, for my taste, I would always go with the big man being the pound-for-pound, pound, especially when you have the thump and the record and everything else to go along with it. So if I moved Andre Ward up and can move him up to heavyweight, I don't think that he would be able to compete even with his skill set with Anthony Joshua. You know what I'm saying? And um, Andre Ward's a, a great fighter, but, you know, I, these things are skewed a lot of times. They're very skewed, but, I mean, if, if Andre Ward weighed in at 220, this would be a different story. Me, myself, I think they have weight classes for a reason, and that big fella can do it all, and he showed it, including get off the mat. Yeah. And that is a very, very big deal. It's a mark of a, a champion. Yeah. A great champion. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you that's how you do it. And how else you do it is is that Crusher decided to come out with a statement where he said about his upcoming fight with Andre Ward, I think the judges made a mistake. I knocked him down. I thought it would happen again. I didn't know my power would run out. I think Andre Ward understands he didn't win the fight. Right now he believes in himself more than before our fight because he believes he found the key to get the victory over me. He knows and understands he didn't get the victory over me. But June 17th, it will be much different 
It's my goal. I want to punish Andre Ward because he doesn't deserve the money, the belts, and the status as a champion. He's not a champion to me. I don't respect this guy. He's nothing to me. This is some serious talk. Some serious language going out there. This is some serious. This is some inflammatory language. Hmm. <laughs> Somebody needs to take an Advil. It's, a, it's inflammatory. <laughs> we need an anti-inflammatory for this man. <laughs> need a Voltaire or something. Because <laughs> that language is hot. Yeah, you know, I I can't call it, man. That that that's one of the toughest fights this year to call. Actually, it's so just like this one this past week. This is yeah. 2017 is a year for boxing. Yeah. Save the one dud that we've had with uh, Chavez Jr. who tricked us into thinking he would be competitive and Canelo. And the one dub we might have with that Conor McGregor scenario. I that's not it hasn't happened. So it, that's that's not even it's not even in the it's not even in the the thing. They don't even put it in the ether that that nonsense no, might that's take what place. That's what I said might happen. Don't even ugh, don't I don't know why it's anybody disgusting. is interested in that fight. Um but no, that that even that, even that I bet you won't be a dud because Conor McGregor has a lot of pride. He'd rather just get beat up than he would just, you know, sit there like uh like Chavez did not even throw his punches. That was just, ugh, that was the worst of the worst. Anywho, um, moving on, though, I wanted to move to the NBA. We're in that lull where the NBA is, I don't know what they're doing. They're they're making a full time for everyone to make their total vacation and honeymoon plans for whoever it is that loses. Uh, why the NBA won't just move up the schedule to tighten up, I don't understand, or why they feel the need for the first round to be seven games instead of the best of five, it is just it's it's gouging. It's it's the idea of Disneyland charging for parking because you're already I'm paying you to get into your building. Now you want me to pay to bring my car to get into your building. How else do I get there? Tell me that, Walt. I don't understand. Now I wonder what monies are they making in between this time frame where they're sitting out and yeah it doesn't I don't you that know, doesn't come off like a money right that doesn't come off as that a doesn't money come grab, off like a money comes grab. off of the terrible scheduling grab <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just terrible scheduling seriously it seems like bad news uh, as far as the schedule goes because there's so many other things happening right so like you know what I mean so it's like why why would we well what's happening with me is that I'm taking the calves. That's what's happening. That's what's that's what's happening. And and as our sound engineer Ernie likes to say, that's what's up. <laughs> that's what's up. Because the truth is, I'm going with the Cavs in six. I actually am leaning towards thinking it may even be in five. Um, I don't know though because it's been so much time in between. Now the momentum is lost for both parties. Well, you're giving LeBron more time to heal. You're giving him yeah, a lot of time to, to do heal. that. Yeah, but um, what do you think the X factor is? To me, it's the focus with which I've seen the Cavs play in the playoffs. I feel like, once again, the Golden State Warriors have gotten every single break to get them through the playoffs. They, they, played, they played Portland, which is an emaciated team, even if they're at full staff. Right. Which they weren't. They weren't, though. Um, they played Utah, which either they could have played Utah or the Clippers. Neither team is actually on the level of playing with them. Correct. Um, and then... They ended up playing the Spurs, which for the first two and a half quarters looked like it was going to be a serious series going down, and until, then Kawhi Leonard got hurt. Yeah, until their player went down, the man, the myth, the legend. And now then they rattled off, you know, four straight. And now they all look like superheroes. And now they look like superheroes. And I think that the non-testing of their skill to go up against a team that is full steam, uh, other than not having Andrew Bogut, I don't think that's going to help you. I really think Tristan that, Thompson's playing great, I, and I think size is going to be the factor. Yeah, 
I think uh, I think I don't think Zaja Pachulia or JaVel McGee are ready to play against that team because LeBron James has been relentless to the basket and that causes a lot of fouls. Now, what's it, what about Zaza's uh, injury? Is he back? I don't know. He should be, though, after all this time. I mean, it's been about a year since the last time he played. He should be healed up from whatever. He could have had open-heart surgery and been back on the team now. I don't know if he's back or not, to be honest. We still got a a day or two until the the series starts. It starts the first, so I guess it starts tomorrow. But uh, I need to check the the status of everyone. From what I understand, everybody's playing. It's just going to come down to heart, and I, I just have to be honest. This whole thing with these players going to play with the best team, it's the equivalent of playing on a video game with the best team. It makes me sick when people do that. The idea that Kevin Durant jumped ship on a team that was perfectly capable of winning the championship, not just winning in general, not just being a good regular season team. They actually, in my opinion, had a better chance of beating the Cavs last year than the the Golden State Warriors did. And the idea that he jumped ship to go play with them, it's very difficult to root for him. Uh, I read something the other day. Doc Rivers was saying that it's with the competitive spirit, it's just very, very hard to root for Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors. Doc said that. They they made it tough. Yeah, Doc said it. Doc said it. With the, with the voice. Yeah. Yeah, he said it. And it's very – I don't know. I, I, it's just not my style of thing, you know. Maybe maybe it is for somebody else, but it's just not for me. It's, it's a new era, you know. You want to make it easy all the time. That's what it's like. Yeah. It's like you want the social media version. You want the highlight reel version. I feel like they don't have enough in the tank as far as with that bench. That bench is nice. They're bringing off a couple of young kids like McCall and Clark, but I don't think that's going to be enough because the, the Cavs bring off winners. KG vets. Yeah, KG vets. These guys are rookies that they're bringing off off the bench, and that's not the same as bringing off Deron Williams you know, and, and players like that. Come on, man, Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver was rusty this last go-around, but with them breaking down the defense like that and kicking it out to a sharpshooter, you know, you can match them. I think the other thing that helps uh, this that this week of rest comes into play is that the guy like Kyle Korver, who's not the most athletic guy in the world and who may actually have been playing poor in the postseason just because of his fatigue, mm-hmm. has a whole week to get his legs back together. And for a shooter, that's a big deal. Well, we can say the same thing about Kevin Durant because I don't feel like he's built for the long haul as well because he's a really thin guy and he's – you know, his muscle mass, I feel like at the end of the season, especially a long season like this, you might need a little bit extra mm to get over the hump. And I don't know if he has that because you see him get tired at the end of a lot of games. And that's really seems like to be his bugaboo. It seems like it. It seems like it's a very serious injury. The other thing's going down uh, pertaining to this series that, that seems to have taken place from a mega Golden State Warriors fan is that there was some graffiti at King James House in Los Angeles. Uh, that that is it's it's absolutely terrible, guys. We got to stop this nonsense. We have to stop the nonsense. So somebody thought it was cool to go. They found out where LeBron James lives. They went to his house and they spray painted the word "nigger" on his gate. You feel good now? You feel like a champ? Does that make you think that Golden State has a better chance? Because if that's your logic, he's playing against a bunch of other. Uh, <laughs> People of color that you derogatorily choose to call uh, negroes that isn't cool, you know, and I just I don't understand what it is that people have. And it's just gotten worse and worse since the election season of last year. It has never abated. And now the situation you're talking about a guy. They obviously they covered it up. You could do this a thousand times in a row. He has enough money and enough goodwill that somebody's going to cover it up every time, meathead. And he wasn't even there. 
And so, who comes up with a, a game plan like that? Who weak wants, game plan. Yeah, a terrible game plan. So obvious. No subtlety in your work. <laughs> yeah, and this should throw him off his game, I guess. And, you know, and, and, and it doesn't even, you know, who knows? It probably doesn't have, a meathead like this doesn't have to do anything with sports. It just has to do with the fact that he's a, a jerk and that they decided that this is what they wanted to do. I think that, uh, you know, I think it's nonsense. It's foolishness. And hopefully for us Cavs fans over here, it's just fuel for, to the fire for King James to dominate and take his place on the the Mount Rushmore of NBA champions with one more championship run. Right, and he's breaking records every game he plays. Every game. Yeah. I think he's breaking one of Magic's next time. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> he's supposed to be breaking one breaking. I'm serious. He's supposed to be breaking one of Magic Johnson's records. It's probably one of the last ones, I guess, for somebody who's been playing in the, in the uh, playoffs and finals this much. And normally I would say, you know what, they change the amount of games that they play, so maybe that's why. But in his situation, when you go to the finals, seven years in a row, it doesn't matter if you were playing three-game series. It would still work. <laughs> it would still work. And truth be told, a lot of his series end up being sweeps because his games, you know, because of the way that his squad goes. Right. And we're talking about a guy who could play in any era. Do you feel like Kevin Durant could have played in any era? I mean, Kevin Durant's pretty good. I do think he could have played in any era. I don't know if he would I don't be think a so. superstar like he is. Right. But I think whenever you have the seven-footer that can shoot from half court, you're going to be able to play. I know, but they were so physical back in the day. They were physical. But, I mean, he's got it all. Every now and then you see him put it all together, mm-hmm. and he, like, he hits you. He rattles off 12 points in a row, couple to the rack where he takes off from the free throw line and dunks on somebody. Mm-hmm. Then he pulls up from like just in front of the half-court marker. He's got it all. I just question the young man's heart because it doesn't seem like it matters enough to him. He's, truth be told, to me, he's one step away from joining the all-rich team. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't want to put him on there. I got space for him. You got space for him? Yeah, I got space I, for him. How many are on that roster? I, I don't know. You know, it, it's, it's an open-ended roster. We, we <laughs> shuffle people as per uh, – we, we keep – we have to evaluate your, your, your abilities and status every go-around, and that's how we know. That's how we know whether or not you get to stay on all rich. Staying in the NBA, though, want to talk about this situation with LeVar Ball again. Yeah. <laughs> We're back with LeVar Ball. The word has come out that Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, all of them wanted to offer – uh, um, Lonzo Ball about $10 million for shoe endorsements. And he said no, because as we know, he's looking for $3 billion for a big baller brand. One for each son. A One billion. for each son. And uh, he's catching a lot of flack about this, as he's also catching a lot of flack about the way that he spoke to his AAU team. What do you, what do you got with that? Well, you know, they're going hard on him because he went hard on his players. But this is this era, new era of everybody gets a first place trophy. And I don't think that it really works that well in real life because he's it's all right for your kids to be, you know, to put a little pressure on them in a in a situation if you want them to move to the next level. Obviously, he knows what he's doing because his kids are actually being productive and winning. And going to the next yeah, level. And going to the next level. So if you don't want your kids to be reprimanded or said anything to or if you don't like the way that he's coaching – don't be a part of his organization. And this is AAU. This is travel ball. This isn't like yeah. this is the high. He's not the high school coach, right? And even if he was a high school coach, man, there's too too much of the soft stuff going around where people don't want you to say anything to their kids. It doesn't teach the guys the right way to play the games across any level on any sport. You don't get a trophy for losing. You shouldn't get a trophy for losing in life. Yeah, but, in life, you know. But it's trippy because nowadays, it's funny that you say that because nowadays you kind of do get a trophy. For you kind of get a trophy even if you cheat. And this is something that that it's funny that you bring it up because to me, the situation with Alex Rodriguez getting a deal 
to be an announcer and not only an announcer, but then to go from being an announcer to also now being a part of the ABC News team. This is unbelievable to me. Yeah, and this is where you get this cancerous activity going on. Of this entitlement. Yeah, of this entitlement. Because Alex Rodriguez is being rewarded for the wrongdoings that he, you know, that he's got. 20 years. Yeah. 20 years of juicing in the major leagues. And you've given him love. He finally clutched up one season is the only time I I cannot front. In the postseason in 2009, Alex Rodriguez, it seemed like it was Kate Hudson that he was going out with at the time that got his mind right. Carried the team. Alex Rodriguez carried the team along with A.J. Burnett. But CeCe Sabathia had gotten them to that point. And uh, him and, and, you know, always the cap, Derek Jeter, they got it done. They got that ring. But other than that, I think that he played almost 20 years in the show or something like that. And um, he never clutched up. He had a bunch of inflated numbers that that uh, during the, the regular season, he was one of the best players in baseball always. And whenever the clutch showed up, he could never pop his clutch. Never, ever. I don't care what anybody tells me. Alex Rodriguez, Five speed. It doesn't have it. He stopped at four. <laughs> he, he's, he was always in high gear. He, could never, he had to gear it up rear end. He could never cool out and actually just uh, glide on the freeway. Whenever it came time for push to come to shove, Alex Rodriguez did not have it. He had it one time. Well, now he does have it. Now he Not only does he have the bread, now he has – the pedestal of being a role model once again. I just hope that he does the right thing. I hope that this go around, now that he's got a, a fifth chance, this go around, maybe he can actually be something positive without the scandal. I'm no Boy Scout. I'm not the best person in the world. But the idea that society has devolved into this place where you get caught cheating over and over and over again, you don't even really apologize. You get caught again after that, and then they have to push you out of the league. They pay you a boatload of money. And then afterwards, they want to use your, quote, expertise um, to deliver the news. Why do we need news from Alex Rodriguez? You know how many kids are out and about right now in in journalism school and trying to figure out how to get into the news business? Buried in school debt. And you're going to hire Alex Rodriguez to, to deliver the news? Hey, dude, he's an expert. He knows everything. Everybody knows that about this Alex. This is something we got terribly wrong in the United States. Uh, and, I, and I say it from afar, but... We have this terrible thing that we think that once somebody has made some money, they're smart. I got news for you, folks. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you're smart. It doesn't work like that. There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of dumb people who make a lot of money, and I know a bunch of them. So I can tell you this to be true from the horse's mouth. And it it, it doesn't equate to intelligence uh, or uh, ethics or morals or anything like that. And we have this worship of popularity that is just it's it's unbelievable. It's frightening, really. Because what we're valuing is very suspicious, and it can it can turn into being disastrous. Yeah, well, this is the world that we live in now, and this is the world of A-Rod. This is the world we created. And it's not even just, you know, and we all participate watching all the train wrecks all over TV and, you know, so on and so forth. That's my rant from France for the day. I'm going to sip some more Bordeaux and get my blood pressure back down. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because keeping the fire stoked – you you saw what happened with uh, Hunter Strickland and Bryce Harper. Yeah, you know this is a part of baseball. You throw you get thrown at, you get hit, you go and have a fight. I actually like that they actually went and actually and had a fight. You know, usually instead of everybody running out of the bullpen, we all stand around. Hey man, where you going to eat? And, you know that whole song and dance. He actually came out and started chunking them. <laughs> actually, Strickland got a nice right in to yeah, start it off, rocking back about two or three feet. <laughs> made Bryce think twice about hitting that mound. Strickland's a big boy. He's a big but boy. But what's interesting is is when he decided to do this because this is from. 
Uh, this is from a beef from three years ago from the National League Division Series. And you see they both remembered. Of course. They, immediately they both remembered. What was up with that helmet throw, though? It was like a little bit off. I feel like Bryce said, you know what? I want to go after him, but I don't really want to do anything with a weapon. Right. And so, you know, I think that's why he tossed it to the right. Otherwise, he was just maybe he saw red. But he hit him the right way, though. He hit him on his butt. I mean, he did. He did. He did. Right but that way. guy throws 100 miles an hour. It, dude, throw, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And you got a guy like Bryce Harper, who's the leading vote getter in the major leagues right now. Yeah. That is not time for him to, to take tough, off. It's literally a tough pill to swallow. It's, <laughs> seriously. It's yeah, bad news. That's a serious dose he took. And, you know, and it, that bad blood brews for a little while. And then pretty soon you get it out of your system. So now you, you're building a great rivalry for the future, probably. Right. The Giants actually, if they can get their act together, will actually contend and probably go against Washington. And they're probably one of the only teams in the National League, once they get their act completely together, that can compete with them. Maybe it's like three teams, four teams in the all of National League that can play against them. Hmm. Yeah. I I, I just I like to see the, the, the masculinity back, to be honest. I'm not much for major violence, but uh I think You're that, not for that, soft sports. I like that sort of aggression. I don't mind a nice soft sport. I mean, I'm here to watch tennis, so it's not you know, it's not like there's no contact in tennis. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's a part of the game. And one thing that's happening with the game of baseball that's terrible is is they keep changing all the rules, and ultimately the changing of all of these rules is the problem. Yeah, just like Mike Trout getting hurt, sliding head first because there's something impossible that you're trying to do is to get this dude to run full speed, speed, slide into second or third. And then stop on a dime, on, on the bag. On a dime. The guy's running four, five, four, six. And he's supposed to grab this bag, hook it, and stop. And that's what he tried to do, and he tore up his, his thumb yeah. and his wrist. And you're going to see more of that because it's literally, now why would it that we would make it so that you can have a clear path to home plate and then you can block all the bags or you got you can keep this tag on me for another second or two. I right. Feel- after you touch the home base, after you touch the home plate, it's over. The play right. is over. I touch home, I'm safe. I right. don't have to stay on home plate. Right. I don't have to stay on the home plate. So it should I be- watched a play the other day where against the Reds where Nolan Arenado actually took a bag. He was I think he was he either stole third or he was going for a triple and the third baseman stepped on his, actually cleated his hand. So he pulled his hand off the bag, and he kept the tag on him, at which point they called him out on a review. Yeah, it's terrible. What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to get a spike in his hand? So basically, baseball needs to work on these rules because the rule changes that they have are hurting getting the players injured at this point. Getting players injured. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros have caught fire. They've caught fire. They're the best team in baseball. (laughs) Uh, They've won six straight. These guys are serious. You got a nice mix between that youth and veteran players, and they're dealing. Yeah, I mean, their their pitchers are dealing. Even a guy like Mike Fires is out there dealing. Yeah, but they just got demoted. Yeah, but that's all right. He's dealing when he's up. Yeah, he's he's gonna. What they put him in a bullpen, so he should, you know, he should get his life back. You know, long long relief or whatever. They're bringing up some of these, some more kids, some more backup. So the the Astros are real. Astros are real. Cubs stinking up the joint. Um, I think that, that the Cubs have the mark on their back, though. You know, so teams are after them. Teams are after him for sure, but that doesn't excuse you for losing five straight and two out of two to the San Diego Padres of all teams. But the Dodgers have taken over sole possession of first place. Yeah. They're no longer the third best team in the West. And this is a very interesting thing because once the Dodgers gets hot, which they have done by winning six straight, when you get hot and you get out in front with a guy like Clayton Kershaw, you can stretch it out. And he's not even pitching well right now. Yeah. Yeah, him but and John Alex Lester w- had, a, <laughs> had a, 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 a slugfest the other day. 
Yeah, but uh, Alex Wood just got hurt. They're dependent on Brandon McCarthy and uh, Rich Hill, and I don't think that Rich Hill with his eternal Hunjin Root just got back. Yeah, and that means nothing in Rich Hill with his eternal. Wow, eter- tell us how you really feel about him. Eternal blister. I don't think that that's going to make a, you know, he'll last probably two more starts, then he'll have to go back on the 10-day as well to nurse that blister. And it seems like Boston's finally woken up. They're 7-3 seven, uh, seven and three out of their last 10. They're in second place, and the Yankees, with that youth movement, just keep chugging on. The Yankees seem like they're following a very similar blueprint to the Houston Astros with the youth movement as well as veterans mix, like a Matt Holiday. Mm-hmm. But not only, I actually, in the head-to-head, even though Houston has a much better record, I would go with the Yankees because the Yankees have that lockdown bullpen. And the other thing that they have is, at times, the Yankees starters completely deal. Lou Severino dealt last night against the Baltimore Royals. I, I'm all Astros because the Astros can do the same thing they can, and they can bop one through nine. And they, they can bop, but they don't. Problem I have is I don't like the backside. I don't trust Ken Giles still. Well, you don't trust him, but he's the real deal. And then you have Davinsky out there. He's like one of the best relievers in baseball right now. Davinsky's really good. Yeah. So and you move Friars to the bullpen, which would help him out because he's used to being a reliever, and he's that's one of the things you do when you get older. You become a reliever, and he understands the game. So. You just need somebody to eat a couple of innings up. He can do that for you. So it should be – the Astros are real. The Astros are real. I'm not saying that they're And not. they already went into the Yankees' house and gave them the business too. Did. <laughs> Did. But that was, uh, that was a few weeks ago. <laughs> we've, we've changed. We've matured. <laughs> Did. Maturation. I'm just hoping that we can get Aralda's Chapman back sooner than later, and that'll be an interesting, uh, interesting thing to happen. Another interesting thing, what we're out here for is the French Open, and we saw a totally and completely beautiful thing happen today. For USA Tennis. Uh, first and foremost, we see that uh, somebody that we met that was a very nice young lady, she had an unfortunate thing happen with a fan who lost his mind. It's Petra Fitkova, uh, made it back on the court, and she was playing Roland Garros, and that's a very, very big deal. Doesn't seem like it's that, you know, like it's that uh, big of a thing because she's already a world class player. But, um, but, after a guy broke into her house, stabbed her, you know, I think that it made a lot of uh, it, it, it. She caught a lot of of goodwill from people who wanted to see her succeed, and her getting back. This is her first time getting back. This was great. She won her first match. Yeah, and then she lost, but that's okay. She's not looking anywhere but forward. There's been a lot of upsets at this tournament already. The the local favorite, Joe Wilford Tonga, is out. Yeah. Um, on the women's side, number world number one, Angela Kerber, Angelique Kerber is out. Um, there's been a lot of lot of upsets. I'm I'm very interested to see what the marriage of Andre Agassi and Novak Djokovic is going to produce. As of right now, it's producing absolute and total dominance. dominance. World world dominance. <laughs> yes, world dominance. World dominance. But we saw something beautiful happen today, and we were actually there for it. And uh, let's play a clip from it. This is from Steve Johnson. He is an American, 27-year-old, and he just won a big match, and then we're going to hear about why it was such a big match. Steve, coming off a unbelievable battle, obviously an emotional win on many levels. You want to try and articulate your reaction as best you can? Are we in a place to do that? No, I just, you know, I just miss my dad, you know. I wish he was following along. I know he is from upstairs, but... It's so emotional. Uh, it's hard to describe. I just, you know, I just know he was looking down on me on that last point and, you know, gave him the strength to finish it off. And yeah, it's just. Dude, usually you play four hours. We ask how you're doing physically. I feel like now we need to ask how this is all going to go down emotionally. 
I mean, physically I'm, I'm okay, emotionally I'm, I'm a mess, so, I, I, you know, I just know this is what, you know, they always taught me to just, you know, be a fighter, be a competitor, so, you know, that's what I'm going to do, day in and day out, and just, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the only thing I can do. I think tennis fans all realize the backstory here, but just in a, in a vacuum, this was a tremendous battle, a tremendous tennis match. You won the first test, lost the third, down a break in the fourth, some controversy. How'd you pull this one out, just in tennis terms? Uh, I just, you know, tried to stay as calm as possible. Um, you know, just happy to win the last point. And, yeah, it's hard to put into words right now, but I'm just glad to get through it. He's a great player. You were an unparalleled college player. This really seemed to have a college atmosphere. You could hear the noise from other courts. You had Croatians on one side, Americans on the other. Did you draw on that experience winning a match like this? Um, you know, it's it is. You know, it's what makes tennis fun. You got great fans, great people. You know, this is a fun place to play. So, just glad to get through and, and you know try and regroup for the next one. Thanks. Congrats. Good luck to you. Thank Thanks, you. Steve. And you get to see right there, the backstory is Steve Johnson, his, uh, his father was his coach. And his father just passed away unexpectedly at 58 years old. And this is the biggest tournament that he's ever, ever played in. And, uh, you know, he was open and saying that the last two weeks of tennis haven't been about tennis for him. And this is his first match at a major since the sudden passing of his father. And his father was his coach, and he was with him all the time. It's just a really emotional thing. And then the guy actually went through a five-setter early. And so in the States, everybody's really rooting for this kid, and I hope he does well too. It's really, really tough. His father was young, right? 58. Yeah. Yeah, really young. Does it say what he passed from? No, no, it didn't say. Uh, But it's it's just beautiful to see people being able to – get themselves, uh, uh, you get to see the highs and the lows of life and what that means when it comes to sports, you know, how that relates. And it's an incredible thing, absolutely positively incredible thing to watch. It's just, I don't even know what else to say, but uh, we got a lot of tennis yet to cover here, Rolling Girls. We're going to get you guys some, also some video footage, put it up on our Instagram feeds, but that'll be next week when we get to watch a little bit more tennis and, you know, sneak some shots in there for you. Um... I think that there's one thing I wanted to talk about, one final thing, and it's that that thing that you brought up, which is uh, the kid. There's a kid out who just broke the world record for a four-minute mile, the youngest kid ever. Right, right. Um, He broke the – I don't know what the record was. but broke the record or he was just the youngest kid? He was the youngest kid to ever run that that mile under a certain period of time. Wow. I knew some fast kids in my time. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. You got his name over there? There it is. We found it. 16-year-old Jacob Ingebrigtsen becomes the youngest ever to break the four-minute mile. 16 years old. Man, he doesn't look like he's 16. He looks older. Euro style. You check his ID. I, need, I want to see. I want to make sure. <laughs> well, folks, thanks for rocking with us on the Ozone. It's always a pleasure to entertain you and to, to vent and to give you our perspective. It's uh, unfair and partial sports. It's what we think about the world, what we think it is, and what we think it should be. You got anything else to add? That's it. I think that was a, a stone cold gas. <laughs> it's the stone groove. We will see all of you party people on the next Soul Train Ozone Line. The Ozone <laughs> Zone. So listen. I'm going to leave you with a quote since we're here in Paris, the city of light, the city of love. It is, love is a friendship that has caught fire 
It is quiet understanding, mutual confidence, sharing, and forgiving. It is loyalty through good and bad times. It settles for less than perfection and makes allowances for human weaknesses. From Landers, folks, enjoy yourselves. Live, love, be one with one another. Ozone. Oh,